When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bolin. Hey, uh, Scott. Sorry, I know I came a little bit late to the podcast today. Yeah, what's uh, what's going on? Well, I uh, got a I got another uh, side gig. I got another side job. Oh, what's that? Well, I am actually getting into building cafes. Really? You're going to build cafes like construction? Uh, uh, or are you more of an idea guy? I'm kind of a big idea guy. You know, I... Uh, I'm really responsible for uh, deciding where the windows go, um, what things will be overpriced. Hmm. That's what I'm doing. Um, it's pro bono for right now, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, I got high hopes, man. Good to know. I've just got my one uh, one job here. You're a jack of all trades over there, really. But uh, what's uh, what are you going to uh, what are you going to name this place? You know, I was going to name it Cafe Racer, but for uh, some reasons that will become clear later, I, I can't right now. And I do want to give a shout out to my dad. Uh, he called me a jackass of all trades. Hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. But uh, listen, I'm going to uh, say that we need to talk about our cafe racers here today. Um, cafe racers, cafe. right? Well, yeah, I guess so. Cafe racers, cafe racer bikes, uh, however you want to put it, I suppose. Um, it's a European trend started in the early 60s. Mm-hmm. So this has been around a long time. And I think, you know, a lot of people, when they uh, when they clicked on this link to listen to this, um they may have just kind of a, a general knowledge of what a cafe racer is, but we're going to tell them a little bit of history. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about, you know, kind of how the, the evolution of the bike went all the way through and, and where it went and um, maybe if it's coming back. Yeah. And then let's also say that this is different from cafe standards. Correct. Let's also point out that uh, this excellent suggestion for a podcast came from Brad Bray. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's a listener suggestion. So, mm-hmm. uh, man, we've had kind of an unusual intro here to this, but, yeah, um, sorry. yeah, sorry about that, Brad. We meant to get to it earlier, but, uh, Brad wanted to hear about cafe racers. So, uh, this one's for you <laughs> and, cool. and all the other listeners as well. Yes. Hopefully everybody else enjoys this as well. Um, so, so Scott, let's just, let's put my weird side gigs aside and let's jump right to it. 
What the heck is a cafe racer? Well, this is uh, this is where we have to go back in history because in the early 1960s, the British hipsters of the day, right? Um, they were they were interested in, in making what they had you know, like these original British cruiser style bikes, and they were interested in making them look more like uh, the Grand Prix bikes of the day. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is something that's not new. I mean, of course, you know, anybody wants to make their motorcycle look like a racing motorcycle. They want to make their car look like a racing car, etc. Yeah. Right? So they're taking these cruiser style bikes. And they're modifying them for speed and maneuverability in, you know, these tight city street situations. Like, in, let's say you're in London. Sure. Uh, you got a BSA or a Triumph or a Norton or any of the other British bikes of the day. Um, you're really just trying to make them look like the Grand Prix bikes of so that you're era. Dropping the handlebars. Mm-hmm. You're, uh, you're probably getting a longer fuel tank, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, let's see. So you're, you're designing it so that you can, Tuck down or tuck into the bike. Sure, yeah. Just, I mean, again, just as the uh, Grand Prix racers would do, mm-hmm. would do. Although you're trying to modify a street bike in order to look like that, so you know they will uh, they have little tricks, like they'll, they'll lower the frame, you know, or use a, a really like a low slung frame, mm-hmm. uh, something that's lower than what they already had, I guess. You know, for for weight distribution. Um, you, know, you mentioned the elongated tank, you know, with cutouts for your for your knees. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Dents in there, so you could so you could t- really. Get a grip on the bike. Sure, you can tuck in real nice and narrow, right? And uh, um, the handlebars that you mentioned, there's like two-piece handlebars or one-piece handlebars. Mm-hmm. But the but the idea behind them in either case is that they're down and forward, so it's not a very comfortable bike to sit on. That's for sure. Yeah, I was gonna say it sounds like uh, they made a calculation here to make. Uh, to prize performance over comfort. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, these bikes are built for short, high-speed trips. They're not really for comfort. They're not for convenience. You know, you can't really carry anything on them unless you've got it in a backpack. Mm-hmm. Um, the removal of all unnecessary parts, you know, free-flow exhaust. Um, let's see, we mentioned mm-hmm. the handlebars already. The seat, which has a very distinctive shape. It's like a flat in the front. With one kind of, I guess, a hump in the back. Yeah, easily spotted. I mean, you can you can definitely spot a, a cafe racer just by looking at the seat, really. Right, and these are still common, right? Yeah, and yeah, they're pretty common. And you know, the thing is, I, I was uh, I mentioned to you just recently, I was in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, for the weekend. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I saw a couple of these on the roads. As a matter of one, one on the way, you know, because there's a lot of twisty mountain roads to get there from Atlanta, mm-hmm. and then a couple of them while we were there in town. And uh, they're easy to pick out. Now, of course, we've been, you know, researching these just a little bit, you know, about, you know, what they look like. And, you know, we were kind of early on into it at that point. So I had a general idea what a cafe racer was. But I tell you, I was able to spot them fairly quickly. And there were there were a few here and there. Yeah. The uh, the thing is that they're they're more common in Europe, I think. Oh, right definitely. Now. Yeah, they're still more common in Europe. But it's a it's a growing American trend as well. So we're seeing mm-hmm. them here. I mentioned that rear seat. It's also pushed way to the back. So you got to get a, a good image of what somebody looks like when they're riding this thing. Yeah, they're they're down. They're like belly on the bike almost mm-hmm. slanted down. Shoulders hunched down. Yeah, knees tucked way up, and mm-hmm. that means that the foot pegs have to be kind of up and back as well. Right. Uh, so this bike, it's an unusual bike in the setup. Um, and we mentioned, of course, it's not comfortable to ride on. It's not mm-hmm. something that's built for, you know, long trips or even daily commutes. I know some people do probably commute on these things, which seems a little crazy to me because uh, they're, <laughs> they're not comfortable by any means. But I, th- I think that maybe we should just talk about how do they evolve, I guess. Because, oh, great question. Because there, there was a way that, you know, we mentioned it started in the 1960s. And there's a way that these things progressed throughout the decades that, that kind of led us to where we are now. And I, I do want to mention um, soon enough that, you know, there's a there's some newer versions of this that you can buy. And mm-hmm. it's kind of exciting news, I guess, for anybody who's really into cafe 
erasers. Man, there's a, there's a lot to cover here. So let's start with a little bit of etymology. The idea of cafe racer was not always a compliment or something that just described the bike itself, right? The bike type. Absolutely true. Uh, it was in the past. It had been used as a kind of a derogatory or pejorative term, right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, the reason is because it was talking about uh, these kind of wannabe racers, right? I mean, they're trying mm-hmm. to make a street bike look like a racing bike. So anybody that wasn't a racing kind of looked down on these guys and said, uh, what are you guys trying to do? What are you trying to pull here by, by racing making... between cafes? Yeah, that's right. Cause you know, they were always seen kind of standing around outside of cafes or parked outside of cafes mm-hmm. and, you know, not, uh, not necessarily at the track where you would normally see a bike like this, right? Right. That was the idea. But let's, let's also, uh, remember that they did have something called cafe racing. Where uh, did you read about this? I did, and this is a this is a cool thing about this. It's like a, a neat little sidebar on the whole cafe racer thing. Yeah. Uh, so the sidebar is this: people who own these bikes, again, the cool guys, would try to do this racing thing where someone would start a song on the jukebox at a cafe, and they would go to a predetermined point for the for the sake of being dramatic. Let's call it, I don't know. Widowmaker's Peak. I don't know, whatever. Fair enough. Corner of fifth. It doesn't matter. So their, their, their goal would be to screech out as soon as the song began, hit that point, and then return before the song was over. Hmm. Interesting. That was, that was the cafe racing. Um, and that's it, called, that's also called record racing. Record racing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's a better term. And, um, the, the pursuit that these original cafe racers were all chasing. One of the holy grails of cafe racing in the early days was something called the ton. Mm-hmm. What's the ton? The ton is the fabled goalpost, the fabled threshold, Scott, of 100 miles per hour, or since we are talking largely European, 160 kilometers an hour. Oh, fair enough. So the ton is 100 miles per hour. So anybody... Uh, on one of these, that's kind of their terminology. One of the one of the things they use to describe excessive speed on these things, right? Mm-hmm. So, 100 miles per hour is the ton. I mean, I, I saw some other words. I saw just kind of a collection of words that will let you, you know, give you a good idea of what these things are all about. Um, a lot of words used to describe cafe racers are like raw or lean, mm-hmm. utilitarian. Bones. Yeah, utilitarian, light, fast, nimble, mm-hmm. uh, no frills, uh, low and narrow. You know, things like that are yeah. how people describe these bikes. So you get a, a pretty good picture, a pretty good mental picture of what they're like. They're just very, very stripped down. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, early on, every single one of these things were modified motorcycles. They were all those cruiser bikes that I talked about, right? Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because... No two really looked alike. No, no. These were every single one was individual. Um, it was built by the person that that wrote it or somebody else, you know, that you know maybe you bought it from. Mm-hmm. Uh, but each one was modified. Each one was an individual bike, and um, you know that's not always the case later on. Right. And, uh, and that's kind of what led to the decline of this thing. But you know, before we talk about the decline, before we get into really kind of you know what happened in the the I'd say the 1970s, I think maybe okay. that's probably the best time or that that era to, to put this. Um, I think before we do that, we should take a break. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. 
We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. However, we are back not in the time we originally started in. We are back in the 1970s, right, Scott? Yeah, that's right. And uh, the 1970s are kind of a critical time for cafe racers because, okay, I don't want to put this all on the manufacturers because it's not entirely their fault, but a majority of this is, really. It's mostly their fault. Let's just be candid. Okay. Well, also, okay, also, these are cafe racers are based on Grand Prix bikes, right? Sure, they're based on those, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Grand Prix racing itself, those bikes are changing. That's true. Yeah, that's another good point. That's. I mean, that's a smaller point. That's like 
that's my only devil's advocate point for this oh, podcast. Okay, well, I've got a couple of other little things in here that that maybe will will you know give you some insight into this. But the, but the problem was that you know these started in the the 1960s, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of of these cafe racers they get well, super popular. Yeah, they really do. I mean, they're they're very very popular in Europe, all over Europe, everywhere. And uh, the European manufacturers, of course, they're going to notice something like that, a trend. You know, these racers driving around town, they're saying, well, why don't we just build a cafe racer and then you know that's going to uh it's going to make this a, a popular model with our with our, our customer base mm-hmm. uh, we'll make a lot of money doing this right mm-hmm. well the problem was that you know manufacturers like Benelli and BMW and Bull Taco and Derby and I don't know all of these guys that that were in, involved with this and even even uh you know here in the states Harley Davidson got in on this yep. um the, the problem was when they when they built these bikes these these manufactured bikes they didn't include any modifications that actually made them faster or or more powerful. Absolutely, they included cosmetic modifications. Yeah, so they took their their basic bikes that they already had, and all they did was make them look like a cafe racer. They didn't do what these guys had been doing in the 1960s when they were really making them, you know, fast and lean and mean machines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They weren't doing that at the at the manufacturer level. So you know, all these companies that that really. Uh, Put a lot of effort into this, you know. I guess what happened was the, the end result was this: it was a loss of popularity for the entire style, and and the whole thing became just a styling exercise. And there was no real functional purpose behind buying a a cafe racer from the factory versus you know buying just the standard model that was a lot more comfortable to ride. Right. Um, you'd be better off to have somebody, either you or somebody else, build you a cafe racer that was a true cafe racer. Right. And it's not just the manufacturers that, that that caused all this to happen. There's there's other things that were in play here. And you mentioned that the Grand Prix bikes were changing. That's one thing, right? Right. They, cha- they changed appearance. So you know what what a lot of people were using as the cafe racers were what the Grand Prix bikes looked like in the 60s. They no longer look like that in the mid 70s. The other thing is Japanese bikes were becoming a lot more popular than British bikes were at the time. And they had a, said that. They had a completely different style. So you know the the look and style of these things simply just kind of became outdated at this point. And it was in the mid 1970s. I think it was like 1977. I mentioned Harley Davidson. Oh yeah, um, the it, XLCR. Yeah, the XLCR, and it just it it never really took off. It never really was a popular model. Um, I know there were probably a bunch of them sold just because it's Harley Davidson, but mm-hmm. um, they never really had the appeal of the original Cafe Racers, and it didn't really have the uh, heritage. The uh, it didn't have the bones of a true Cafe Racer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, increasingly they were using uh, stuff like. As you said, the Japanese models became the basis for cafe racers, and here is where I'll differentiate, because I think the ones that were built off that still count as cafe racers because people were actually modifying and customizing them themselves. Mm -hmm. That makes them closer to the original, at least, than the, uh, for lack of a better word, store-bought cafe racers, and... Since we already said the word hipster, I guess we could say that at this point, cafe racers went mainstream and unsuccessfully so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you've already, you've already pointed out one of the biggest questions, which is, you know, why am I going to pay the same or possibly more for a vehicle that is not only the exact same performance as the regular bike, but also less comfortable to ride. True, and that's uh, that's exactly why you know they they lost popularity in the mid 1970s, and it's just because I just don't understand why somebody would buy a bike that 
is, I guess, lax in that way, you know, that it isn't a true cafe racer, but, you know, maybe has some of the appearance of it, but it's really getting far, far away from what, you know, these original, like the, the rebellious, the rock and roll culture people, you know, the, uh, mm-hmm. I guess the, the counterculture, um, you know, would, would consider a cool bike. And, uh, it's just not considered cool anymore at this point, you know, by the, I'd say the late 1970s. Yes. Now, before, I, I want to take a long sidebar if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. So before we get to the, the future, the more recent history, mm-hmm. I just want to do a little bit of uh, some fanboy stuff, Scott, about the, what I would consider the original quote unquote real cafe racers. Did you see some pictures of the Triton? I did. Yes. That thing is awesome. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, if, if, if our listeners haven't seen it, do a search for that and, and you will find it. It's a beautiful bike. And it was powerful enough to let you hit the ton because it started with, this was like even back in the fifties, right? Uh, the, the bikers were putting triumph engines into, uh, frames from Nor- a Norton feather bed. Yeah. And see, that gets back to what we talked about earlier on that, you know, these guys in the original, you know, the 1960s and the original kind of era of the, the cafe racer, you know, they were really modifying these things. These were really built for speed. They were, they were the, the real deal. And and later, you know, the manufacturers pushed it towards, you know, something that was not quite as real, if, if we can say it that way, I guess. Yeah, but, I think so. But Maybe with, authentic. But with the Triton, that thing, if you, if you haven't looked at that, that's a that's a perfect example of a beautiful cafe racer. Yeah, I, I loved it, and I, I love the idea of the ability to envision in your head what you want and then to, to modify it. So it reminds me a bit, this is my sidebar part, it reminds me a bit of the A-Tractors. Oh yeah, very much. You know so. what I mean? Um, we have a we have a podcast on that. It's a very interesting uh, culture, uh, also in Europe. Of well, that's more about circumventing legal. Sure, that's a rule bending exercise for yeah. uh, for young drivers, right? Uh huh. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting as well. And I agree though. But they they have a vision and they make something out of it. I mean, they make something that looks good that they're they're proud of. Something that you know is uh, is fun to drive, fun mm-hmm. fun to ride. Um, and that's, that's exactly the spirit behind these things is something that, you know, it's, it's enjoyable to the writer. So that's something that I I guess I wanted, we would be remiss first if we didn't mention the Triton. Mm -hmm. Secondly, although it is easy to vilify the manufacturers, I think they just, I, I think they just didn't understand the entire, the entire point. Of the of the exercise of building a cafe yeah. racer, what the idea? I mean, it's like a guys in the uh, in the corporate world trying to make something cool to the guys out on the streets, and you know that are really doing this, that are really part of that culture, right? And it just didn't translate. That's the problem. Yeah, and making the modifications yourself seems to be part of it, and it's it's very difficult to, maybe even impossible for us to overemphasize how steeped in a culture cafe racing was. Mm-hmm. Um, when when these manufacturers are coming out in the 70s and, you know, the whole thing is changing, the look of cafe racers, the base bikes they're using are changing. This still is all occurring in um, in a place that's very much, again, inundated, permeated in a social culture as well as um, mechanical interests. Sure. So, we, we talked about, you know, the British rocker crowd and the, uh, sure. I mean, the idea at the time, you know, of course, the 60s, the the, uh, the kind of the American greaser image that they were having. Sure, you know, the, the infamous uh, Ace Cafe in London. Exactly. I mean, uh, and the songs on the jukebox that you were hearing, I mean, there's a good chance that those were American rock and roll songs at that time. You know, it's, uh, I can 
just almost picture in my head, you know, like what was going on at the time in, in the mid 1960s in London mm-hmm. and, and what was going on in this counterculture, this rock and roll culture and, uh, and, and the way that they were thinking, the way that they were dressing, the way that they were acting. It just, I can, I can almost picture all this in my head. There's a, there's a lot of film footage about, you know, this era. Yep. There's a lot of, uh, you know, of course, photo documentaries of, of this era as well and what's going on. And I bet in a lot of those photos, you're going to see these cafe racers out there. And, you know, I want to I want to get into um, um, something. This is there's some good news on the on the horizon for um, for cafe racer fans, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also want to tie this into another culture that I, I'm sure people have thought of um, along with this this podcast. But first, I think we need to take just a moment for a break. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right, so we're back. And, uh, and I mentioned, you know, a couple different things here, but there's a, uh, I think I want to mention the, uh, the good news for Cafe Racer fans first. How about that? That sounds great. Because What's the good news? it is making a, uh, it's kind of making a comeback here and it's becoming more and more popular, at least here in the States. I don't know if it's making a worldwide comeback or not, if it ever went away. I just don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a, a company here called, uh, Cleveland Cycle Works and they build a brand new Cafe Racer model. And I know they're not the only one. This is just one example that I found, but, um, it's a modern, bike with classic style that you can you can buy brand new from the factory um you don't have to build it yourself or anything like that mm-hmm. um it's it's get this ben the retail price is under thirty two hundred dollars wow for a wait. brand new bike which is pretty good for a brand new motorcycle yeah right? that's really good i mean considering that you know there's boy there's some big bikes out there that are you know in the twenty thousand dollar range or thirty thousand dollar range oh, yeah, or, or more i know that people are going to say there's even more expensive bikes but um the model that i'm talking about in particular is called the misfit and uh, it's a 250cc cafe racer bike. It's designed for entry-level riders. So that's uh, that's one thing right there that I don't know if everybody will be gung-ho about this. but um, Or a bike builder. You know, If you're a bike builder, this will probably interest you because it's easily modified. Uh, the bike supposedly, I'm just going to buy the uh, the review here, but it, okay. it rides and handles well. It's easy to maintain. So there's you know simple maintenance on this thing. It's great for a new rider. Maybe the seasoned rider, Ben, however, may not be all excited about this one because I mentioned it's a 250cc bike, right? Yeah. And it has a look. I can show you the, the picture here. Um, I know listeners can can take a look online to find the, the Misfit model from Cleveland Cycle Works. But the power output from that 250cc, 14 horsepower. Now, you think that may be like uh, almost like you know, uh, moped output yeah. or something, right? Yep. Not the case, though, because this thing is capable of 75 miles per hour, which is not bad. Of 14 horsepower. 14 horsepower. It's so lightweight and so minimalist in design. Mm-hmm. It's so, it's so uh, I guess, lightweight and, and simple in design. I, I guess maybe that's a better way to say it, is simple. Um, that, that 14 horsepower with, you know, a rider of, I don't know what the weight limit is on this thing, uh, but 75 miles per hour is easily achieved on this. And... You know, with some modifications, I'm assuming that you could get that up a little bit so you could maybe reach the ton if you yeah. wanted to, you know, because that's right. what, what everybody's going for, right? But yep. this thing, I mean, it's got, it's a good looking bike. I mean, it, it has all the very, the very classic lines of the cafe racer. And, um, I don't know, it's just really, it's an interesting bike, I guess, for 3200 bucks. You may want to check it out. Just it's an, it's an, it's a good find, I think. Thirty two hundred bucks. I mean, there are computers that cost. Money. That's exactly right. And you know, if you want that classic look, you're not maybe a bike builder yourself. You can't find one that's you know less than, I don't know. I, I would bet that some of these the true classics are going for you know ten ten grand or more. Right. Um, or you know some somewhere near there. This may be an option for somebody. Yeah, I would just I would just be cautious because again, you know, if if you don't have the time nor the inclination. Or the aptitude possibly to customize your own, then, then I guess it's advisable, but it is still a store bought cafe race. That's true. Yeah. I guess so. There's, uh, there's that angle that, you know, you haven't put this thing together by hand. There's, uh, I guess the pride of ownership thing. Right? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just saying it's different. I understand. I fully get it. So what, um, but we are going to talk about racing culture, cafe racing culture yeah, and, as well, huh? And one thing that I, I, this stuck out to me right away. This this right away kind of locked in my head is that cafe racers and and um, what I considered I guess the rat rug culture. You know, like the yeah. uh, the guys that are into rockabilly and things like that. This this type of bike to me seems like this would be right up their alley. It seems oh, like this yeah. would be 
a perfect fit, like a hand in hand thing with uh, with rat rod owners, and and I don't know, just it, it seems like they would have similar interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody who rides a cafe racer and somebody who builds a rat rod, or somebody in that rack- rockabilly culture, seems like this this type of thing is is exactly what they're looking for. If they met at a stoplight, they would look at each other, and both of them would say. I get it. And, yeah, I know. And, <laughs> and the thing is, you know, to me, I don't know why that's connected because because there are things called rat bikes, right? And these are not rat bikes. These are these are separate. Yeah, they're separate but similar. Uh, similar. Yeah, I guess so. But but I do want to point out that they're definitely not rat bikes. They and, are not. And so rat rods and rat bikes. I don't know what the connection is between rat rods and cafe racers to me, but maybe it's the rockabilly tie-in. But I see Quite these. Possibly. I see this group of people getting together, you know, and getting along really well. I'm glad you mentioned that connection, Scott. Uh, I think we're we're wrapping up on some uh, cafe racer stuff. Let's see. Oh, I wanted to give a shout out to our uh, friends in Australia. There is a place called Cafe Racer, and it is a huge uh, hangout. For cyclists. Oh, really? So wait a minute. So we're coming back full circle now with the beginning. When you said you were uh, maybe working on a place, are you thinking about calling your place Cafe Racer? Well, you know, out of respect for out of our respect for our friends in Australia, I am not going to steal the name because Cafe Racer is an icon in Australian cycling. So it's a, it's sort of a linchpin of the culture in in Melbourne. Hmm. Um, so we just wanted to give a shout out to those folks. Uh, we didn't want to be remiss and not mention them or Ace Cafe. Uh, we also, again, want to thank our listener for making such an excellent suggestion. Is that Brad? I think it was Brad Bray. Thank you, Mr. Bray. And uh, we hope that you enjoyed this as much as we've enjoyed it. You can drop us a line to uh, give us suggestions for topics, to give us feedback, do a couple of other things. And you know what, Scott? Just to show how much we uh, do appreciate listener mail, why don't we read some now? Let's do it. Okay, Scott, this is Dick R. writing us uh, from New York, where he works, and this is a really cool letter. It's uh, it's a little bit long for the time we have, so I'm just going to read some highlights, okay? Sounds good. Hi, Scott and Ben. I discovered your podcast a couple months ago, making my way through all the shows. Thanks for the varied topics you covered. I work in New York, commute to the subway, so your car stuff adventures make my travels much more enjoyable. I, I have a few comments that I would like to share. Uh, first, in your podcast about Route 66, you talked about the transcontinental race across America in 1928. Although the race followed Route 66 for a good distance across America, the race was actually ran from Ascot Raceway in Los Angeles to Madison Square Garden in New York. Uh, 84-day stages from March 4th to May 26th. 199 runners started. 55 runners completed this. Um, as you noted, Andy Payne won the race in the $25,000 first prize. And That sounds pretty intense. Yeah, and he's got a lot more stats here uh, that we're... we're Skipping over in the interest of time, um, not because you're not making great points, Nick, but because there's another thing that he said that I thought was really interesting. What's that? He said, on a related topic, he questioned how many pairs of shoes might have been used. Because I have been a runner for more than 45 years, I've gone through quite a few pairs of shoes myself. Shoe wear is dependent on several factors. First is the shoe itself, how well it's manufactured. That's easy, right, Scott? Fair enough. All right. Another is the surface. Shoes wear faster on concrete and to a lesser degree on black-topped roads. 
If one is lucky enough to run on dirt or grass, wear is very minimal. I've worn the same model Nike shoe for more than 20 years. I average 1,000 miles a pair. This guy is running. 1,000 miles each pair of shoes. Yes. He goes on to say, I have kept records of my miles since 1975 and to date have run 47,183 miles. Wow. He, he notes, I actually run more miles per year than I drive. 47,000 plus miles. Yes. Since 1975. Yes. Wow. Congratulations to you, sir. Um, and then he also uh, goes on to tell us more about go-karts, which I might save the, the rest of this letter for another podcast and uh, mention some stuff from his racing days, too. So uh, we'll, wow. we'll end with a uh, documentary suggestion he has for everybody. Uh, he said he had listened to one of our Nuts and Bolts podcasts. In it, we mentioned the gliders used during World War II. He says there's a great documentary about the glider program called Silent Wings, the American Glider Pilots of World War II. Interesting. Uh, it's a, that in itself is interesting. Also, I think there's something that maybe we quickly went over that we need to just say again just for emphasis. What's that? He runs more miles each year than he drives. Yes, that wow. makes him extraordinary amongst the uh, population in the United States. That's really cool. That's in most driving cultures, really. Interesting fact. I wonder how many people keep track of their miles like that. I mean, from 1975 to now, 47,000 plus miles, and I wonder how many pairs of shoes. Does it say that? I, I forget. But, uh, man, 1,000 miles per pair of shoes. That's mm-hmm. pretty good. Uh, that's a pretty good distance. 47,000 miles. That's well, pretty pretty good distance. Yeah, that's I mean that's great, and this was a great letter, Dick. Thank you so much for writing to us. Uh, yeah, glad to have you as a listener. Yeah, and uh, welcome aboard. If anybody has uh, some topics they'd like to suggest, if you'd like to tell us uh, your experience with Cafe Racers, or even send us some photos, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook. You can send us a tweet on Twitter. Uh, you can also check out our brand new website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, carstuffshow.com, carstuffshow.com. That's a little bit different, but uh, go there. You can find our podcasts, our videos, blogs, mm-hmm. uh, read about us. You can find our, our Twitter feed there. You can find our Facebook page from there. It's got everything. Check it out. We're updating it all the time. It's a one-stop shop. And if you uh, if you would rather just send us an email directly, we are down for that, too. Our address is carstuffatdiscovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. 
Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 